0: Hi, this is Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Welcome to the weekly top three, the top three things on our mind here at Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets for the week of April 12th, 2021. The weekly top three is a regular segment on The Michael Duke Show. The show broadcasts on Facebook Live and via streaming audio from the show's website, weekdays from 6 to 8 a.m. I join Michael weekly in the first hour of Tuesday's show from 6.25 to 7 a.m. for a discussion between the two of us about our three issues. We post the podcast of our discussion following the show on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook, YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify pages, also on the new Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets website, as well as the projects page on national blog site medium.com. You can find past episodes of the weekly top three also at the same locations. Keep in mind that in addition to these podcasts, during the week, you also can follow and participate in the discussion with us of these and other issues affecting Alaska's fiscal and economic condition by following us on the Alaska for Sustainable Budgets Facebook page and through our posts on Twitter. This week, our top three issues are these. First, what we learned as a result of preparing for and following up after our testimony last Saturday before the House Ways and Means Committee. Second, our concern as some start proposing ways to spend Alaska's share of the Federal American Rescue Plan funds. And third, some good oil news from the North Slope, but the same big question lingers. And now, let's join Michael.
1: Let's talk a little bit here about uh, your... um, your prep here and what you've discovered on the fiscal solutions that are facing the state, all the vi- viable options and available options that are there. What um, you know, what, what what have you seen and what have you learned, and what are the what are the impacts of what's going on?
2: So I was invited to testify before House Ways and Means on Saturday. Um, uh, Carl Davis from ITEP and I were invited to testify. Uh, and the and the subject was the economic impact of various fiscal solutions, um, and it's not so much that the testimony itself, where I learn. Although uh, the, the questions uh, during uh, follow, in the course of the testimony are always interesting, but it's the prep before, where you know you talk to people and ask uh, what subjects they anticipate or they they would like to see covered, and then the follow up after uh, asking them what. Uh, what they thought of the of the of the testimony and the and the subject matter that that's always where I learn uh, around these around these instances and and maybe it was stuff that uh, maybe it's stuff that's just common sense and and uh, and I knew before but it certainly got reinforced um, uh, with uh, with this uh, this piece of testimony it, the, the 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 thing that that came through is that people don't really dispute. Uh, that cutting the PFD has the largest adverse impact on the Alaska economy and Alaska families. In fact, uh, during the course of this testimony, uh, uh, Chair Sponholz repeated uh, – herself repeated several of the, of the themes that we've talked about uh, over the last five years, themes that we've talked about uh, on the show with you. Um, and, and generally speaking, uh, I don't think there was, there was hardly any dispute. About about that subject from from the broad range of people I talked to before um, and after, so you would think, okay, everybody understands that PFT cuts have the largest adverse impact on the Alaska economy and Alaska families. Let's do something about it. That's where that's where the the, the car goes off the road. There's there's so much disagreement, such a wide gap uh, between. Uh, what people think we ought to do, uh, uh, as a result of PFD cuts, being uh, uh, to 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 stop the impact of PFD cuts. I mean, you 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 go all the way from those who still believe in cuts only, that that we're going to hold our breath until, you know, until government spending is cut down to traditional revenues, and that's the way to solve the problem. All the way to the other extreme of, uh, of, of uh, people holding their breath and saying we're going to have a progressive income tax. The, the way to, the way to fill the revenue gap is, uh, or the fiscal gap is, uh, is, is a um, uh, is a progressive income tax. And and there's very little movement um, in, in in what I found uh, toward the middle. Uh, I mean, occasionally you'll get people uh, that talk about progressive income tax saying you know, they might agree to uh, other solutions to fill the fiscal gap, but they're certainly not going to agree to cut. Occasionally, you'll hear people at the other end, uh, at the cut end, saying uh, uh, they might agree uh, under a, a variety of circumstances to uh, to some uh, revenue solution, solution, but those, you know, those uh, commitments are, you know, constitutionalized the PFD and and constitutionalize a spending cap, and you know, institute Governor Dunleavy's uh, uh, no taxes without vote of the people. Um, things that will never be agreed, that that, won't, that aren't being agreed to by the other side. And so, the default that that we've fallen into, uh, that we continue to fall into, and that we will con- that we will continue to fall into, uh, is is PFD cuts. The thing that have the very thing that, that I, I would suspect there's, there's near-universal agreement on the very thing that has the largest adverse impact on Alaska families and the Alaska economy. That's just the default, and, and the failure to push, to agree, to come together, to, to look for uh, alternatives is, is – um, or the, the, the desire to do that just isn't there. Uh, and and I don't think it's going to be there. Uh, I, I, the depressing thing out of this, out of the testimony, is, is I don't think uh, it's going to be there uh, this legislative session. Um, Chair Sponholz, uh, uh views the Ways and Means Committee as a as a two session uh, or two uh, two session uh, uh, effort uh, both this year and or two year effort both this year and next year. Uh, with hearings in, over the interim, not really coming to uh, propose legislation or actual, you know, a, a, actual way forward uh, uh, until sometime uh, next year, which is an election year, which means, you know, it, it's not going to go anyplace in that year. So I think I think that I mean the, the 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 takeaway I got from all this was, yep, we absolutely agree with you. Largest adverse impact, worst thing we possibly could be doing. Hardest, uh, hardest uh, uh, impact on Alaska families. Uh, hardest impact on the overall economy. Uh, but nope, we're not going to do anything <laughs> different. We're just going to keep on going down that road.
1: And so this is, an, this is something that's uh, been echoed um, by, uh, I think, both Mike Schauer and Pete Machicke, who have been on the program multiple times, by Kathy Tilt, who's been on the program, where they're basically saying it just looks like there is no political will to fix the problem I mean am I summating this whole thing properly Brad that there may be a few individuals in there who want it but overall especially with those in power and those that, that are basically holding the reins there is no political will to fix the issue
2: so I would put it slightly differently I guess I, I would put it there's a lot of political will to fix the issue our way there there is no political will to find a compromise uh, there is no there is no effort to you know come together and say oh god this is the worst way you know the the way we've been going is the worst way we could, we can at least find a lesser uh, a lesser harmful way uh, to do this um, and 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 compromise everybody not not everybody but but almost all let me try it that way are sort of locked into their solution is the solution. Um, and and the other guy's solution is not the solution, and and we're not gonna we're not gonna we're not gonna push to find uh, an, an alternative uh, compromise that might be a better solution, not not the perfect solution from our standpoint, but a better solution than continuing to go down this road that has that has the largest adverse impact. Uh, I mean, for a long time, I've thought that that the flat tax. Uh, that I've talked about on the show, and I've taken so much grief over. Uh, I thought that is that would be the uh, the compromise solution because it 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 treats all income brackets the same. It doesn't it doesn't push the costs to middle and lower income Alaska families. It doesn't push the cost to upper income families. All families have skin in the game, and I and I argue it has a it has the positive benefits of. Uh, on uh, on spending by having everybody engaged so that everybody is concerned about about spending that additional dime because everybody would have to contribute uh, to to that additional dime. Uh, but there, there really is no will. I mean, where, where the lack of political will is, is finding that compromise. Right. Every, everybody's got a lot of will behind. Yep. My my way is the high. My way is the highway. Um, and uh, and and if we go down this road, we've got it solved. And, and and it's but but there's just no political will to, to find a compromise, and so we end up we end up continuing to use what what I don't I didn't get any pushback on the concept that PFD cuts have the largest adverse impact on Alaska families and the overall Alaska economy. None. I mean Natasha might she wasn't she wasn't there she might maybe uh, although I haven't even heard her really push back on that. No pushback on that. It's just that. We're not going to agree to a compromise, so we could have to continue to go down the
1: well, way It's kind of like inertia, right? I mean it's kind of like this is the way we've always done it, so that's the way we're going to do it and so I mean it's horrible and it's bad, but you know it's what we know, so we're just going to keep doing it because we can't come to a we can't come to a compromise but it really it brad i mean c- can I be devil's advocate here for a second and say, you know there is compromise has almost become a dirty word, and in part it's because it seems like in many ways across the country and maybe this is just anecdotal or maybe this is just perception but it seems like those on the more conservative side have been willing in the past to do some compromising and everybody talks about compromising and then the the more progressive side says yes compromise and then they kind of stick it to everybody and they don't really compromise but the and the, at some point the conservatives are like look If we're going to we want a real compromise, we you know, but but for you, code is compromises. We do it your way, and we like it kind of thing. And and I think that's kind of the feeling of many conservatives out there is that, you know, we'd be open to a true compromise, but not a compromise in name only kind of thing.
2: Yeah, I I I mean I get that reaction from both sides. Frankly, Um, I mean Chair Sponholz has proposed a spending cap. Uh, she and Bryce Edgeman have, have put in a bill that we've talked about on the show before uh that is a spending cap and to them that is that is a, a compromise in the sense that um uh, they're proposing to cap government growth and and she's actually you know turned into an advocate of it uh, uh talking about some of the excesses that occurred uh in the in the early two thousand teens uh as examples of you know spending that, that she would like to see curtailed. So, I mean, from when you when you have a a conversation on that side is, hey, we've proposed uh, spending caps, but, but, you know, sort of the these guys on the other side, they, they just, they, they don't, they want to, they don't want to come to the middle. I, um, and, and and certainly conservatives have the same, uh, have the same perspective on, on, uh, on, on things they propose. I just, it it was, it was, (laughs) I think there's a deal there. I mean, sort of the sad thing out of this is I think there's a deal there, and I think the deal is a spending cap with uh, constitutionalization of the PFD. Which, you know, in conversations, I don't find anybody except Natasha. I don't find anybody really, you know, digging their heels in over and saying, "No, we're not going to do that." Um, uh, and and you know, and and a in a level. Uh, whether or not it's a flat tax, but a level uh, a revenue uh, measure to to close the gap. Because even even with Governor Dunleavy's uh, spending cap uh, uh, and, and spending cuts that he's proposed, uh, we still have a fiscal gap. We still have right. a, about a billion dollar well, fiscal
1: gap. And the problem with people like Ivy Sponholz clinging to her ideal of her spending cap is that it's ineffectual. We know that it's going to be ineffectual. But, I mean, and you could cling to it and say, oh, look, you know, she can cling to it and say, look, I'm I'm standing for all. But we know that it really is not going to do anything. And and if we could get the Constitution uh, or the PFD constitutionalized, it would be, in effect, a de facto spending cap as well, because it would take that off the table and it would no longer be under their control, which would be a good thing. So, I mean, I guess I would take her spending cap along with a constitutionalized pfd because at least one of them would hold back on the number, on the amount of spending in the state of alaska
2: yeah i think that's i think well i mean, the other piece of of what she would want to see or others would want to see is you know revenues what are you, how are you going to close the fiscal gap i mean we're never going to get a constitutionalized pfd alone standing standing alone because because those who are concerned about government spending want to maintain government spending levels are, see that as the trap, right? They see, right. the, you know, taking away the PFD, no agreement on other revenues, uh, and so all of a sudden, you know, you're sitting there with a with a gap that can't that, that that there's no agreement on how to fill. So, they're never going to agree to constitutionalize the PFD until there's agreement on how you on how you close that gap. So the the third part of this would have to be, uh, you know, what's the what's the what's the revenue side going to be? What do you what what's the what's the agreement going to be? On revenues, and and when I talk to when I talk to conservatives, I think there, I I think there would I think we could come to an agreement
1: uh,
2: on on what uh, what those revenues could be in the context of a spending cap or spending cap and and constitutionalizing the uh, the PFD. I, there, there's just I mean, what what you're articulating, Michael, is is a lack of of of, of a concern about you know the, the good faith of the. Of the of uh, people on the progressive side to, you know, to, to live up to the to the deal of, of a spending cap, you got the same thing on the progressive side. They they they, they don't believe they they have a, a concern about the willingness of conservatives to agree to, uh, to live up to an agreement on revenues. And so you just right. sort of sit there in this no man's land.
1: This divisiveness, of course, continues at all levels of government, and that's part of the problem. Uh, we're coming up on the go ahead.
2: And 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 the damn thing about it, the thing that's just so frustrating to me, is all of that leads to continue to use, continuing to use what I think both sides recognize is the is the tool that has the largest adverse impact on the economy. Everybody talks about wanting to save the economy, uh, but but we use the tool that has the largest. We end up using the tool that has the largest adverse impact on the economy.
1: Right. Exactly. You know, I think what you're pointing out here, and this is just my take on it, uh, I think you're pointing out or or highlighting, you know, again, kind of this divided nature that we have in this country right now, that we just cannot find the middle ground between the sides. And uh, there are those of us who are, you know, libertarians or more moderate, either moderate conservatives or moderate uh, progressives who are in the middle going, guys, guys, can't we just come somewhere in the middle here and, and do this thing and talk about it? And it just seems like the, the opposite sides are so divided, like you said, they can't even trust each other to find some kind of compromise. And I don't know what the solution is to that. And, and that's that, – it's troubling me because, I mean, I would – I want to hire – I want to hire and, and elect more conservative people to have smaller, more limited government – but I don't know if that's adding to the problem or if the answer is to bring somebody into the middle. I don't know. I, I just at this point, what we've got going on is just not working, and I don't know how to fix it.
2: Yeah, I think I think what we have to recognize, both nationally and at the state level, is we're divided. We're, no one is, we're not going to leg wrestle and some and one side be able to slam the other. That, that that the that the votes are divided in a way that no one side can control the other, um, and that we have to find if, if we're gonna if, if we're not gonna be you know continually defaulting to these worst options, we have to find some way to to, to reach across that divide and find uh, and find solutions that aren't the worst option that are that are less than the worst uh, option. And that takes trust. I mean, you were you were just articulating the the concern about well, the progressives will never live up to their bargain about you know a real spending cap. The progressives uh, have the concern that the that the conservatives will never live up to their bargain about uh, about uh, filling revenues. Even if we agree on what the spending cap would be, they'll never live up to their to their end of the deal on uh, on filling those with uh, uh, with revenues. And 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 this lack of trust just um, uh, just, just, you know, results in, in the continual default to the, to, to the worst outcome. I, you have to find some way to bridge the trust. I mean, I've spent a lot of time with, uh, with groups that are doing that at a national level, uh, uh Braver Angels, which is a group that's just, you know, is, is equally divided between conservatives and, and what they call reds and blues, equally divided between the two, uh, Trying to find ways to, to, to build common ground. There's a problem solvers caucus at the national level, backed up by a group called No Labels that, that are trying. That's trying to find a, a equally equally divided problem solvers caucus is a Congress and the, there is a caucus in the U.S. House that's equally Republicans and equally Democrats, trying to find a, a solution so that we don't keep defaulting to the to the uh, to the to the worst option, it, it takes trust. I mean, it takes trust. It takes trust that the other side is going to live up uh, to to their end of the bargain. Both sides have stories about how the other side didn't live up to it the last time we did this, um, and uh, and and it's just I mean, it's it takes trust trust to get over that. And try and you know the theory behind Braver Angels um, and the theory behind the Problem Solvers Caucus is building personal relationships, and those personal relationships. Build trust, uh, but y- 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 that may be true for the legislators, but, but the experience you sort of find is well, they still have constituents who don't have trust, and who you know go on rampages if uh, if if they if they feel their legislator is compromising with the other side because the constituents don't have trust uh, in the other side, and. And and the and the and, and I can live with all that. That's okay. I mean, everybody just doesn't trust everybody else. But the problem here, the problem in Alaska, the problem in this situation, is we're defaulting to the worst outcome. We're defaulting to the outcome that that I think uniformly now people agree as the as the largest adverse cost on the largest adverse impact on the Alaska economy on, and on Alaska families. Right. And it's just frustrating that you can't say, okay, well let's let's just try to get you know. Not the largest. Let's just try to find the
1: next largest. Impact. Let's just move back from this a little bit. Can we pull the other lever uh, at least a little bit? Just pull the other lever a little bit just to, you know, yeah. to take some pressure off. We're into number two of the weekly top three. We're talking about the ARP, the American Recovery Program, and the CARES Act money um, and the effect that it's going to have on Alaska. We've, we've talked about this a little bit last week where we're, the fear is, of course, is that they'll see this as a windfall and it will basically stop any discussion into the size and scope of government or restricting government spending. Uh, but that it's a short-term fix. That even if it, it backfills for a year or maybe even two, we're still looking at a ten-year deficit plan as it goes out. Uh, Brad's got some thoughts on this. Uh, it could be the you know it could be the quasi oil strike type thing where you're going to see the monies come back. But uh, uh, Brad, you've got some thoughts on this.
2: Well, I, I think I think I'm beginning to have concern that it is that is, is like an oil boom again. It is the equivalent of oil going to a hundred dollars, and everybody's saying not only saying, uh, "Oh, uh, we don't have to worry about that fiscal situation anymore because oil's gone to a hundred dollars." Not only that, but hey, where are we going to spend all this money? Um, and and I'm beginning to have a concern. Um, well, more than beginning, I'm deepening a concern. Uh, that that that's the that's the that's sort of the, the road we're going down. You're beginning to see small things uh, about people proposing uh, what they're going to do with uh, with this money. Governor Dunleavy uh, had a press conference where he talked about you know we're going to have a tourism, uh, we're gonna to, we're gonna give support to uh, all the industries that have been hit by tourism, and we're going to you know have a, a tourism ad campaign funded by funded by the state. Uh, like nobody's seen before. Well, what he's talking about using is, or what he's talking about is using uh, ARP money to uh, uh, to fund a campaign like that. That's not something the state has done before. Um, it's not backfilling a spending program uh, that we that we already have that's been that's that's been underfunded because of because of revenue or low revenues. Uh, we're talking about creating an entirely new program. Uh, uh, on top of existing programs uh, and funding, that I, I understand why you want to do that. Our tourism industry has been hit hard. We do want people uh, coming to Alaska, but I'm not sure. I'm not sure it's the lack of demand to come to Alaska that that's the problem. The lack of advertising about how great Alaska is. I think it's just been you know people don't want to travel, didn't want to travel, couldn't travel, were prevented from traveling. Uh, and so, and so, didn't come up. Ships can't come, and so, and so, you can't come up. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't think we have to generate new demand that, that 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 has fallen off. I think it's, I think it's just getting things open back up so people can make the trip. But nonetheless, the governor wants to show that he's concerned about it and and go on uh, spend this. That's a small thing, uh, but but we're beginning to see uh, 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 things like that uh, show up in the. Uh, and show up in in other places. There was a uh, Jake Metcalf, who's uh, uh, the head of one of the uh, government unions, uh, had an editorial column, uh, an op-ed that talks about all the wonderful things that we're going to be able to do with the uh, with the ARP money. Um, you know, people at the University of Alaska are talking about you know being able to to refund uh, the University of Alaska, and there's there's an article out there about how you know we're going to be hurt. Because we've had these 70 million dollars in, in cuts to the University of Alaska, that bolt in, uh, you know, may result in losing uh, federal money. And so we need to we need to restore those spending cuts. We need to, you know, re up state spending to, to the University of Alaska in order to get all this additional federal money. Sort of the trap we fell in with Medicaid over the years, right? Right. You know, right. Uh, we just have this additional Medicaid program, this additional state spending, we get all this additional federal money. Where I, you, you're just seeing, you're beginning to see sort of like spring, you're beginning to see these sprouts of all these wonderful ideas people can can do with this money. And and my point has been, and I'll continue to make, we need to view these in the same way that we view, uh, that we view state spending. Yes, we're using state, we're, these will be filled by federal dollars, but we need to view it in the same way as we've used state spending, because every federal dollar you spend this way, you're not gonna be able to use to backfill state spending. Um, and if you don't backfill state spending, you're still gonna to have to, uh, you're still gonna to have to use, you know, come up with state revenues to fund that state spending that uh, that you're not backfilling and that'll lead to PFD cuts. So ultimately, every dollar you spend on a new pro, every federal dollar you spend on a new federal program is going to come out of the pfd not immediately right. but,
1: but in the but, long run over right time well and you you pointed and, that out yeah you pointed that out with the medicaid thing where oh no we need this this is free money right now the fed's going to pick up all it and then the next thing you know our health and social services budget balloons up by six seven eight hundred million dollars because all of a sudden the fed stopped paying for a big chunk of it and we've created the programs and now we're on the hook for it that's always the yeah, exactly
2: right it, And and we create these programs. I mean, I'm not saying this is what's going to happen, but let's just for an example, Governor Dunleavy would go forward with this, this, you know, this advertising program like you've never seen for Alaska uh, uh, using federal money. And then, you know, the federal money runs out and and the the tourism industry says, hey, wait, we need to continue this program because it's had these great results uh, of bringing people up to Alaska. Well, we, it had the great results of bringing people up to Alaska because Alaska was open again, the, co- the the country was open again, Canada was open again. We were able to bring people up here. That's what really drove it. But oh no, we'll we'll see people saying, oh no, this great this great advertising program. So so we need to continue it. Um, and, and you know we'll see the same thing with the university. So it's it's we, we, we just like hundred dollar oil. Just think about this like hundred dollar oil. Just like hundred dollar oil. Uh, when, as we use this money, when we create programs, when we create, you know, spending expectations, when we create constituencies around spending programs, we're just, we're just sinking our boat further. Uh, once, once, you know, the ARP money goes away or, or the, the analogy once oil goes back to $50, we're just, we're just, we're just taking on more, even more, uh, problems uh, on the other side of this. And, and I understand the I understand the immediate reaction of oh, we got all this money. What are we gonna do with it? You know, how can I show my constituents that I that that, that they got the benefit of it? Um well, I hopefully uh, uh people will uh, people will, will uh will will keep themselves reined in. But that's a hope, that's an aspiration, that's not a right that's not a given.
1: Yeah, well I mean at this point I'm not I'm not uh I'm not heartened by what I'm seeing coming out of Juno and the commentary that I've read so far from legislators on this money they're not you know i don't think they're planning on using it as a way to ease down or glide slope the problem down they're not it just it doesn't seem like anybody is thinking in a 10-year cycle um you know nobody's really thinking about that it's like oh we've avoided it we can we can look at it next year that seems to be the general the general modification is that well this this gives us till next year now to look at this
2: yeah there, there. This does show up in one place that I think is important. You know, the Senate is now considering uh, the emergency uh, powers bill, right? And they've included in the rewrite that came out yesterday limitations on the governor's ability to direct this billion dollars or billion plus dollars that's coming to the state that that he has to requiring that the governor come through the appropriation process. I think that's a good step. I think requiring the governor to come through the appropriations process um is the legislative appropriations process um is is a good step. I it's more transparent, there's more constraints on it. Um, you, know, you you have legislators who still want to spend the money in some other way, but but at least requiring more transparency, public transparency transparency about what's going on, I think would be a good thing. But there's pushback on that. I mean, there's pushback. Right. Saying, "Oh no, we don't. We don't need to do that."
1: Less than a minute here, Brad. Um, the possibility of us having new revenues, new taxes come this session. What do you think?
2: Uh, new revenues, certainly with the, with the federal money. Uh, new tax or new taxes or new revenues in the sense of taxes. No, uh, it's just not going to happen this session.
1: Not enough. Uh, they can't even come together enough on that. Maybe next session we'll be looking at something like that. Brad Keithley. Maybe
2: I, you have to you have to build trust. You have to you have to get people that are sober about this
1: yeah
2: Uh, we're gonna have to get through the the arp money first
1: yeah well that and that's the thing isn't that isn't that the crazy part we've got to get through all this free money first before we can get our fiscal house in order there's just something wrong with that whole statement but isn't that a crazy statement we've got to get through all this free money before we bring our fiscal house in order right brad i mean we've gotten this windfall and we'll 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 take care of our fiscal house as soon as we get through burning through all this windfall that's kind of (laughs) it's kind of the reaction
2: People don't want to make hard decisions, and you know any excuse you can have to avoid making a hard decision. Uh, uh, you, some people take, and you know because of because of this because of this divide in the state, uh, if you make a hard decision about either about spending cuts or about about revenues to fill the fiscal gap. Uh, you're going to have people mad, and so you know. <laughs> yes, I mean one attitude that that I that I found in Juneau is yes, we lost John Coghill. Yes, we lost Jennifer Johnson. Yes, we lost people uh, who uh, who you know were were advocates of PFD cuts, advocates of using PFD revenues as the way of closing the fiscal gap. Uh, yes, there was pushback on that, but that was only in some districts. Um, you know natasha got reelected uh the people in southeast uh, uh the legislators in southeast got reelected uh steve thompson got reelected uh, uh bart lebon got reelected um and so yeah we're going to lose some people at the margins but you know by and large we just keep going down this road and and uh and and, and enough of us get reelected we just keep going down this road and it's just i there's <laughs> there there's there's, there's, there's it, it, Without having trust between the two sides, without having trust saying yes, this is the the largest adverse impact. We have got to do something about that. We've got to we've got to you know find a lesser impact. Uh, without trust between the two sides on finding a way to do that, we're not gonna we're not gonna get it done. We're just gonna keep going down the road of uh, of PFD cuts.
1: You want to give us a brief uh, brief take on number three, which is the new oil discovery yep. on the North Slope.
2: Yep. So there's a 88 Energy, which is a which is an Australian company. Uh, that has uh, uh, been active on the slope, bought, uh, uh, bought uh, other companies' uh, positions, have, have done some exploration uh, on the slope. Uh, they had good results with a couple of wells uh, that they've drilled. Not not perfect results because they had some mechanical problems in the wells that, that didn't enable them to finish the testing they wanted to do this year, uh, but had good results uh, on, on the slope. Uh, it looks like another extension of the of the play of the geologic formation that uh Conoco's found uh, in in its Willow Prospect, that uh, Pika found, or that uh, Oil Search and Armstrong have found in uh, in their Pika Prospect. It looks like it's another element of that. Uh, so, from a geologic standpoint, it's great news. And you know, if we were back in the '70s or '80s or '90s or 2000s or even the early 2010s. Uh, it'd be really exciting news. But the same question uh, is, is hanging over this that I think hangs over the Pika prospect, uh, and that is are they going to be able to find financing uh, in, uh, in this current time? So are they going to be able to find people who are going to put up capital, put up enough capital to be able to develop these projects, people who believe that these projects are going to you know, fit in the cost curve of, of going forward, are going to be able to compete with shale, uh, are going to uh, are not going to be you know strung out and then ultimately killed by uh, environmental regulations or by climate uh, regulations uh, or by the decline of demand in the uh, demand for oil in the market. Uh, that's really it's the, the the test on the slope is no longer really can you find good oil. I mean we're finding good oil. Uh, the test on the slope now is: Can you find financing? Can you find dollars uh, to bring these things to develop these things and, and bring the oil to market? And that's frankly more of a challenge. It's going to be more of a challenge going forward in this market than uh, than, than finding good oil. Um, and 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 the financing is going to be the is going to be the you know the ultimate ultimate test. And I I have concerns about that. I mean I you 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 read. Uh, I read a lot of stuff about uh, about the global oil market. I spend a lot of time uh, writing, talking, uh, engaging with others about the global oil market. And Alaska isn't even a footnote anymore, uh, frankly, because it's just been written off as as one of those areas where uh, there's it's just going to be too difficult to develop, uh, too difficult to bring these things, uh, bring these projects to market. Too much risk. You're you're better spending your money, investing your money elsewhere in the world right uh brazil guiana uh, uh, uh elsewhere in the world than you are uh putting your money in alaska especially so
1: following for... especially following the lead of many major u.s financial institutions have all said they're not going right. to invest in the arctic at all just the political right. the political football of oh hey we can't do that uh but they'll do it in guiana <laughs> they'll do it in guiana they'll do it somewhere else but just not here
2: yeah, it's the, it, it's not it's not it's it, it's political risk. I mean, I, I but it, it's just the financial risk. I mean, are is there better places to put my money? Is there more secure places, better return uh, to put my money? So, it, yeah. it, great news, great news in terms of the geologic prospects. But but where you're going to hear me yelling and screaming and shooting off fireworks is is when these guys announce they've got them financed. <laughs> right. They've got them backed up by dollars. Yeah, That's. Exactly. That, that's what we need to be. That's what we need to be looking for.
1: Uh, all right. Well, Brad Keithley, Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you, my friend, for coming on board. I appreciate you uh, joining us as always, and uh, thanks for thanks for keeping us in the loop on your thoughts on this. We appreciate it.
2: Michael, as always, thanks for having me. I enjoy it.
1: Yep, it's uh, always a good discussion. Always, uh, always a good time uh, to see what goes on. Thank you, Brad. Well, that's a wrap for another week's
0: edition of the weekly top three from Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. Thank you again for joining us. Remember that you can find past episodes on our YouTube, SoundCloud, and Spotify pages. And keep track of us during the week on Facebook and Twitter. This has been Brad Keithley, Managing Director of Alaskans for Sustainable Budgets. We look forward to you joining us again next week on the weekly top three.